thank you. <laughs> um, one of my boys was up north um, at Kahuko over the weekend, and he was at a bit of a convention meeting thing about um, what they call treasure hunters, where you get together and pray. Well, first you have a, a real dedication to the Lord, and then you pray, and then you go out and find people who are sick or wounded or whatever and pray for them. Well, there's not a lot of people in Kahuko, so they came across to Rawini and stopped at a cafe there, and Reuben saw four young guys sitting at a table and went over to them and asked them had uh, any of them sick or injured in any way, and three of them had been in an accident about two or three weeks earlier, and one had neck injuries, one had back, and one had ankle. So Reuben, who's just like you and I, he's no different, um, and he prayed for all three of them, and all three got healed, like instantly healed. They, they would... Yeah, you know, bend down, touch your toes, twist. And these, these guys were freaked out, like, what have you just done, you know? So they just shared it was Jesus and God. And uh, so, yeah, Book of Acts stuff. Morning. Great to have you all here this morning. Just another quick testimony. Um, I do voluntary work at a rest home and met an elderly couple through that voluntary work last year. And I, this elderly couple, the husband had just been given several months to live due to a hole in his throat, which was causing food to go into his lungs. So he was getting pneumonia all the time, and his lungs were filling up with fluid, and there was nothing that the medical staff could do. And that prognosis prompted him to ask for the chaplain, which I do at the rest time, uh, to come, because he wanted to prepare for his death. And so as a chaplain, I had the privilege of leading him to faith in Jesus. He'd had a background, and often that's the case. People have had... Um, heard about Jesus way back in their childhood, but never done anything about it. And now he said, yes, I want to believe. And that to me was the greatest miracle. But also, over several weeks later, I keep meeting meeting with him every week. Um, I said to him him and his wife, would you like, is there anything you'd like me to pray for, we could pray together for? And he said, yes, I... um, I want to live long, this is last year, I want to live long enough to have Christmas with my wife and our 60th wedding anniversary in early January. So the three of us prayed that, that's all we asked for. Didn't ask for healing, didn't ask for anything. He's still alive. Over the next few months he got better. The pneumonia stopped and when they did the check on his lungs, there's no fluid in it. So God must have closed the hole. That's all we can think of. And what touched me there was that God did it without us actually asking for healing even. We just asked, please can I live till Christmas? And God did more than that. He's given him a miracle. Yeah. Okay. If you'd like to take your seats, that would be absolutely fantastic. Okay, last week I talked about anointed for marketplace ministry. If you weren't here last week, and I know there is a number here this morning that weren't. Uh, get the copy on the podcast on the web and have a listen to that. Uh, basically, my heart was that every one of us is called to full-time ministry and we can just receive and experience a supernatural anointing for whatever, whatever vocation God has called us to. So I want to expand on that this morning and I want to expand our thinking and hopefully give you a vision not just for Whangarei, but for the nations. Because I believe the Word tells us that every one of us is called to help reach the nations and have a global impact. 
So not only is our ministry in our workplace, not only is our ministry on, in our home, but our ministry can be to the nations around the world. So the big question is, when someone tells you that you can have global impact, the first thing you're going to say is, how? How on earth is that going to happen? Well, first of all, I think we need to recognize God's purposes, God's plans, and God's priority, because the whole of history is about God making a way through Jesus Christ so that lost, fallen humanity could come to know Him. We are here because God made a way for us. The Bible tells us that before we were Christians, before we knew Him, God loved us. And He was making a way for us to come and know Him. Lost souls are not only on God's heart, but they are actually the very reason that Jesus came and died on the cross. So some of the most important words that Jesus spoke were his last. Often, last words reflect what is on a person's heart. And Jesus' last words are what we call the Great Commission. You'll find these in Matthew 24 and Mark 16 and Luke 24 and John 14 and in Acts chapter 1. And I just want to read just two of those uh, sets to you this morning. In Matthew 28 verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit came not so we could play church, but the Holy Spirit came actually so that we could be his witnesses. And these words for me are so exciting because they tell us that all of us are called to be involved in reaching the lost and making disciples of people of all nations. And I know that when God calls us to do something, while it might seem impossible to us in our own strength, if God's called us to do something, that means that with Him, we can do it. That is so exciting. So when I read the Word and I see something that is way, way, way beyond my abilities, I think, wow, that's amazing. God is asking me to do that. This is going to be an exciting trip. This is going to be so, so, so cool. It's not just a mandate for the local church, but Jesus' words are given to each of us personally as they clearly tell us of the opportunities and of the power and the authority that we've been given when we step out of our comfort zone to fulfill the commission and call on our lives. Authority and power were given to Jesus, and that authority and power has been passed on to us. There's an interesting verse in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and it says this. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Isn't that interesting? All the world, all the nations, then the end. 
It's amazing, but for the first time in the history of the world, the church is poised to literally fulfill the Great Commission. We are the generation that is just a few decades away from seeing this scripture completely, totally, thoroughly, utterly fulfilled. No one in the history of the church has ever seen a day like this day. I mean, people like Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and Charles Finney and John Wesley, they're, a greater, they're a greater men, but we live in a greater age. And lesser men can do more in a greater day than greater men in a lesser day. So we are in the day that Jesus prophesied about, the day of the harvest of the earth. I don't know whether you realize this, but evangelical Christianity at this very moment is growing at four times faster than the birth rate of our planet. It might not seem like it in New Zealand, where we seem to be pretty static and are desperately, desperately needing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to interrupt our nation. But over the world, Christianity is growing four times faster than the birth rate. There are 7.3 billion people in the world. 2.3 billion are Christian. In AD 100, at the time of the early church, there were 12 unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a people group where the gospel's never, ever been preached, where there isn't any um, local witness of the life of Jesus Christ outworked. There were 12 unreached people groups for every congregation of believers. Now, today, 2016, there is one unreached people group for every thousand congregations. So if we would just get our heads together, if we would just be a little bit more strategic than perhaps what we have been, we could see the whole gospel preached to the whole world. Every seven weeks in Latin America, a million people are born again. In Southeast Asia, there is an unprecedented hunger for God. In 1993, my wife Penny visited Vietnam, took Bibles, literature to the underground church. And I read a few years ago the story of a Vietnamese underground church pastor because in Vietnam, they're, they're pretty well persecuted there. He was imprisoned, and while he was there, he led a prisoner to the Lord. And the pastor told the prisoner, uh, when you get out of jail, you lead five others to Jesus, then contact me. So that was the deal. A few months later, when they were both out of prison, the prisoner contacted the pastor. and He said, come quickly, pastor, we need you. And the pastor said, well, why? Have you led five people to Jesus already? And the prisoner said, no, I've led 753 people to Jesus and we've got no pastor and no Bible. God is moving by his spirit. But probably the greatest harvest of all is taking place right now in China. 35,000 Chinese a day are being born again, a million a month. Within a decade, there will be more Christians in China than in the United States of America. Friends, it's harvest time in the earth. And the purpose of every Christian is to be part of the harvest, to see the lost one for Jesus. That's the facts. But 
how can we develop not just a head knowledge about the harvest, but a heart, a passion, a compassion for the cause of global missions? Because I find that if you just got a head knowledge, it doesn't translate into you doing anything about it. So we've got to have that connection from our head to our heart. And so to develop a passion and compassion for the lost globally, there are, there are four main activities that I've found over the years uh, have developed my passion for global missions. And I think they are really summarized by Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So if you poured all your money into your house, that's where your heart's going to be. If you pour all your money into your family, that's where your heart's going to be. If you pour all your money into your boat, that's where your heart's going to be. Where you store your treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. And some of the things that we invest in are absolutely necessary. It's necessary that we pour our heart, our treasures into our family. I think the worst thing for me as a minister of the gospel would be for me to see lots of other people get saved and my kids and my grandkids walk away from the Lord. So I've got an investment in my children and my grandchildren. Wherever you spend and invest your time, your talents, your resources, that's where your heart is going to be. So First of all, spend time praying for missions and missionaries and cities and nations. Never underestimate the impact of your prayers. Psalm 2 verse 8 says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession." That is an amazing, an amazing verse. Just think about it. Ask of him. Ask. Ask for the nations. Ask for the city. Ask and see what God will do because sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. I remember my very first trip to India. I'm flying into Chennai Airport. This is in the early 90s. It was Madras in those days. And as I'm coming in, absolute fear hit me. And I thought, God, what on earth was I thinking? Signing up for a missions trip to India. I can't do this. God, you've got to help me. And if anyone has lived in India... If anyone uh, who uh, has visited that place, how many people have seen Slumdog Millionaire, by the way? Just, yeah. Okay. That is what it's like. That is exactly what it's like. Except the film doesn't portray the smells. The film doesn't portray a lot of the things which just absolutely hit you in the face. So I'm flying in there and I'm thinking, God, what am I doing here? You've got to give me a love for the people, otherwise 
I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to minister. And you know what? As soon as we hit the tarmac, he did. Something, something just absolutely changed in my heart. And I had the most life-changing missions experience I have ever had. Not only did we see hundreds touched and healed, I got, a cha- I got changed, and I realized that with God, I could make a difference in the nations, and I could help fulfill the Great Commission. I learned not only to pray for the sick and to cast out devils, but there was just such a love that welled up in my heart, not just for Indian people, but for Asian people in general. It was just a total change for me. Prayer, prayer, that's where it started. It started with a cry, God, you've got to help me. Samuel, Ch- Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. Satan laughs at our toils, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. You know, in Ezekiel, there's a verse in chapter 22, verse 30, where God's speaking, and he says, I look for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. And God today, I believe, is still looking for people who will stand in the gap on behalf of nations, on behalf of cities, on behalf of people groups. He's looking for people who will take up his cause and pray because he promises that if we would pray, he will answer us. So first up, if you want to, grow in your passion and compassion for missions, start by praying. Invest some time in praying. Put your treasure in heaven through praying. But secondly, go on a short-term mission. How many people here have actually been on a short-term missionary trip? Put your hand up. Wow, that's great. That is absolutely great. Some of God's greatest gifts to us are opportunities. And as you invest your time and go to the mission field, God will grow your heart for missions. Going opens your eyes and your heart to the reality, the hardship, the suffering, the misery that the rest of the world lives in. I tell you what, after every missions trip, the greatest sight that I ever see is flying down the Manukau Harbour. Seeing this beautiful, green, lovely place in the West Coast beaches and, and you, get off, you get off the plane and you, you that smell. What's that smell? Oh, it's clean air. I knew there was something different. And you just realize just how blessed we are. But, but when you're away, God touches your heart. When I walked through the slums of Kibera in Nairobi, slums about the size and population 
of Auckland and saw the young people growing up with no choices. It absolutely moved me. When I heard about the gangs, the drug trade, the prostitution, the AIDS in the slum, it moved me. When I, was a, when I experienced the drought in Mozambique, of course I cried out, God, there has to be an answer. When I hear the stories of families in Northland who have lost children to suicide, it moves me to seek God for answers. When you are there, when you are walking in other people's shoes, something happens. The only downside is, of course, it's easy for us. We go fly in there for a couple of weeks and then fly back to our comfort. They're there 24-7. I haven't had malaria seven or eight times like the ailings. I haven't lost a child on the mission field like the Ames. But we can do something about that. I'm passionate about missions, not just because I know there has to be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation in heaven, but I have a passion for the nations because I've invested years of my life helping to reach the nations for Jesus. My heart is for the nations because that's where a lot of my treasure is stored. It's a bit like Penny. Why does Penny have a passion for reaching children for Jesus Christ? Well, she spent 35 years teaching children's church and Bible in schools. Time is so precious. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So no wonder she has a passion for seeing children come to know Jesus Christ. Thirdly, give regularly to missions. Not everyone can go to the mission field. And by the way, I hate traveling. I've had some of the worst experiences of my life on mission fields. I remember when I was in Kenya, I remember wrecking my back as I vomited into a basin. I remember driving, just prior to that, driving around a roundabout and three cars in front of us blew up. We just got round, just made it as the fire burst out. I remember having my camera stolen on the flight down to Mozambique. This is all in one trip. In fact, if I, I've traveled around the world three times. If I was to add all the problems up that I'd had on all of those trips around the world over all of the years, and concentrated them into just a two-week period that would be infinitesimally small compared to the two weeks of hell that I had on that one trip to Uganda, Kenya, and Mozambique. But you know, when I look back, that was probably one of the most productive missions trips I've ever been on. Saved a missionary from walking off the field. Returned property that had been negotiated away, just breakthrough in just a whole pile of areas. I think, no wonder the enemy hated me going on that time. Not everyone can go, but everyone can pray, and everyone can give. And Penny and I are passionate about missions because we have invested tens of thousands of dollars in the mission field, and where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. And in Philippians chapter 4, the Macedonian church received a prophetic promise. It says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do you know why they got that promise? 
You know why God promised to meet every one of their needs? Because they were an incredibly generous missions-giving church. In fact, verse 15 tells us that they were the only church that invested finance in Paul's missionary journey. And so the promise came out of that generosity. I always think that when you partner in something that is at the center of God's heart, not only do you have his, not only do you have his attention, but you have his resources as well. And we might not be able to go to the mission field, but we can send and we can support. One of the great missions sending churches over the years is a church called the People's Church in Toronto. And Oswald J. Smith, the pastor, uh, wrote a book called The Challenge of Missions. It's one of those missions textbooks, if you like. And uh, this is what he says in his book. He said, In the early days of my ministry, realizing that I couldn't go myself to the mission field, I turned to substitutes. One day I approached Reverend Cook, the leader of the Evangelical Union of South America. I said, you wanted to send out some new missionaries? He said, yes, we've got five ready to go. I said, why don't you send them? He said, we do not have the money. So I said, if I can succeed in raising the funds for their transportation, will you allow me to support them? His face lit up as he responded in the affirmative. Never will I forget the day I placed those five missionaries on the platform of the People's Church and challenged the congregation to send them out. They did so. Then the five became ten. The ten, twenty. The twenty, forty. The forty, one hundred. The one hundred, two hundred. The two hundred, three hundred and fifty. Now we have an army of laborers serving as our substitutes on some forty different foreign fields. This is what I'm living for. One church. 350 missionaries being supported. The fourth thing that really builds my passion for missions is just listening to and reading about great missions exploits and people that have made a difference. And you don't have to go outside these four walls to talk to people who have been brought up on the mission field. The, the Overeem's parents were on the mission field. And uh, Becky was on the mission field. Um, Rosie Boom's been on the mission field. Brian Foster's been on the mission field. And you come and you talk to these guys and you hear their stories. Oh, man, if I had time, I'd tell you some of the stories that Brian told me about painting whole villages by dropping cans of paint. And this is in New Guinea. Uh, dropping cans of paint out of a plane, different color paints so that they could identify the villages when they got down to them on the ground. And things like that, just breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough stuff. You know, the, the first missionary that really inspired me was an older lady called Beryl Green who visited our church in Hamilton in 1975. Uh, Beryl was born in Wellington, 1927, studied accountancy at Victoria University, graduated as a teacher, but she left teaching and went to Bible college in the USA. And in the early 70s, in her mid-40s, Beryl moved to Panama, where she worked amongst the indigenous tribes uh, discipling and training them to reach their own people. I always remember Beryl because she had this unique laugh, this cackle, which just got everyone in the room going. Beryl started 11 Bible colleges throughout Panama. 
Amongst her first converts, the Bible school graduates, uh, was a group of men who became known as Beryl's Boys. And many of these men went on to hold senior leadership positions in the governments of Panama and Costa Rica. One became the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Panama, and he established the Hope Green Foundation after Beryl's death and has personally continued her work establishing an additional 10 Bible college and now oversees around 800 churches, 1,300 pastors, and 21 Bible schools. Because this one little old lady said yes to Jesus Christ and decided that she would go. <clears throat> she impacted the nations. When she died, she left a bequest to the Assemblies of God Mission Department of over $80,000 to be used to support overseas missions. And I was really, really fortunate to be a recipient of some of that money as I traveled around supporting and helping some of our missionaries overseas. One person with God can do an amazing difference, can make an amazing difference. Finally, not only build your compassion and passion for missions up, but plan to do something. Perhaps the greatest missions church in Australasia was the Queen Street Assemblies of God Church. Is Betty here this morning? Betty Bright? Yeah. Bet was part of that church. They sent out over 80 missionaries. This is from one church in our, in our nation, 80 missionaries. And some of the missionaries that we support today, like the, the Elliots, uh, were part of that missions group that uh, got sent out. I believe the seeds of the anointing and the blessing that was on Queen Street is actually in Church Unlimited. Who knows what we will accomplish in this decade? I was talking to Pastor Tark as we were driving up to Morewa uh, last week, and we were talking about the roots and the power of the seed and the promises that have been given to God, and we were reminiscing about what had happened at Queen Street and the realization that that same anointing was on Church Unlimited, and he wants to use us to reach the nations. Who knows what will be said about us in a decade's time, but it's going to happen one step at a time as we strategically plan. You know, you can make a difference if you just seek him for initiatives and start to store your treasure in his kingdom. Romans 10 verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Not everyone can go, but every one of us can be a sender and a supporter. The father of modern missions, as we know it, was an 18th century Englishman called William Carey. He was called to India. He was a cobbler. No practical formal learning. But he gave the Bible to more people than perhaps any other person in history. Once when he was asked what qualifications he had, Kerry replied that he was a plodder, but he could plod for Jesus. 
William Carey's career points to the fact that with God in our lives, we can achieve the seemingly impossible. And perhaps Carey's most often quoted saying was, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Let's do it, people. The job is not done in the world that Christ gave us to do and the mandate is still binding on us today. That's why we speak of unreached people groups. But the missions is the back-breaking, culture-penetrating, darkness-shattering initial work to penetrate, plant the church, see it flourish, get its own elders, train its own people, evangelize its own networks. That's the task of missions. It's not over. And that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the alternative is hell. And millions and millions and millions of people are on their way there. And we have the only means of escape in our heads and in our hearts. Jesus Christ. There are many prodigal sons on our city streets they
So count the cost, brothers and sisters. This is not an invitation to an easy life. For 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of missionaries, the unnamed, no biographies written about them, just unnamed people of whom the world is not worthy, have counted this cost and put their lives at risk and reached the loss with the only message of salvation. is we can actually do something. Not only are we called to, but we are resourced to make a huge, huge difference in people's lives around the world. Did you notice that statistic? 1.5 billion people living on less than a dollar, dollar 25 a day. You imagine that. You imagine what it would be like. Every one of those is a person that Jesus Christ died for. And every one of those is someone whose life can be changed if they're just here that Jesus Christ came for them. I wonder, just with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today, and you think that you could do something for the cause of global missions. Might be praying. Might be going. Might be giving. If that's you, if you think you could do something, if you think that you are going to do something, why don't you put your hand up now? Nobody else looking around. Okay. Let's all stand, shall we? Father, you have so, you've so put your global heart in our heart. And I just pray that God, over the next few days and weeks and months, you just renew our fire and our vision for reaching the nations for you. Lord, I thank you for all of those people and all those situations, all those circumstances that we've been involved in over the last two decades. But God, I know that there's so much more that we could be doing if everyone got a heart for reaching the nation. So God, I pray 
that you would just infuse us with your heart, that we would begin to see things as you see things. But not only that, that God, as we step out for you, I know that we step out with the resources of heaven behind us. So God, have your way. Have your way in us. Have your way through us. We ask fresh ideas, God. Fresh opportunities. Miracles. Lord, in Whangarei, in Northland, in New Zealand, and the outermost parts of the world. We ask for that this morning. Let it happen. Let it happen.